If you would, open your Bibles with me to Job chapter 40. The title of the message this morning, Will You Condemn God? Two weeks ago, we looked at the first part of this conversation that took place between the Lord and Job. In that conversation, God said, Job, you've been asking a lot of questions. You've had a lot of things to say. You've been contending with the Almighty. He said, now I've heard everything that you've said. You've been talking about some things, Job, you don't understand. Now, Job, God says, I've got some questions for you. And he said, I demand an answer from you. And the Lord asked Job, Job, where were you when I created the world? Do you have the power like I do just to speak the world into existence? Why no? Well, then you'd be wise not to question somebody that's got that kind of power, wouldn't you? The Lord asked Job, can you govern the earth like I do? Do you have power over life and death? Do you have power to make it rain and snow, when and where you want? Do you, do you have the power to make the seasons change whenever you want? Do you have the power and the care to feed all the wild animals all across the earth? No, you can't do any of that, can you, Job? Then you'd be wise not to question the one who does. Don't contend with the Almighty. In chapter 40, verse 1, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Job, can, can you instruct me? Can you correct me? And then Job answered. Here's Job's answer. To all, everything God said to him. Job's answer is, Behold, I'm vile. What shall I answer thee? I lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I'll not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Now Job's answer to the Lord was, I've said some very foolish things. I see that now. In order to keep that from happening again, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my hand over my mouth and I'm not going to say anything ever again. I'm not going to say anything. I mean, if I don't open my mouth, I can't put my foot in it, can I? If I don't open my mouth, I can't say something that's going to lead people astray. Now, there are times we'd all be well served to keep our mouth shut, wouldn't we? There's no question about that. It is better to keep our mouth shut than to question God out loud and cause others to, to be led astray and cause them maybe to feel like they should do the same thing, to question God's providence, to question His love and care for us, to question His wisdom in doing what He's doing. You'd be a whole lot better off to keep your mouth shut and question God and, and talk about things that would hurt a babe in Christ. You know, especially you older believers. Keep that in mind. Babes in Christ are watching you. I remember being a being a child and, and being a young man and being blessed to be around so many older men, so many older believers. Now, I watched them. I watched them. You, you be careful now. These babes are watching you. Be careful what you say. Look over at Psalm 73. David went through this. David, in the midst of, of a severe trial, wrote these words in Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1. He says, Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He says, But now in this trial, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. 
For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. And what David means there is they're, they're not troubled and plagued like a believer is. These unbelievers are just blessed in everything they do. They're not troubled and plagued like a believer is. Their pride compasseth them as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. But they're corrupt, and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people, God's people, return hither, and the waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. These wicked, nothing's wrung out to them, but the waters of a full cup of trial are wrung out to God's people. And they say, how doth God know? Is there yet knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. David said, that's what it feels like. It feels like I've cleansed my heart in, in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued. I've been chastened every morning. Now verse 15. And if I say I'll speak thus, behold, I should offend against the, the generation of thy children. David said, this is the way I feel, but I'd be a whole lot better keep my mouth shut and not saying those things out loud, not questioning God's providence. Now, like I said, there are many times that we would be well served to keep our mouth shut and not say what we're thinking. But that's not all the time. That's not all the time. There are times we do need to speak. There are times we need to speak to one another. There are times we need to speak in prayer. There are times we need to speak. That has to be the case because when Job said, I'm not saying anything to anybody ever again. I'm just going around with my hand over my mouth. The Lord keeps going. The Lord keeps going with these questions for Job because he's going to draw the right answer out of him. See, the wrong answer was to say, I'm not going to say anything ever again. So the Lord continues to ask these questions to Job, so he draws the right answer out of Job. In verse 6, then the Lord, then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind, and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee, and, and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me, that thou mayest be righteous? Job, are you going to make my, my judgment null and void? Just so you can be righteous? You're going to change, change my judgment? You're going to change my laws? Job, are you going to call me unrighteous so that you can be called righteous? You know, the Apostle Paul dealt with that in Romans 9, 14. He said, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Did God do something wrong? Was God unfair? Was God unrighteous? Paul said, God forbid. God forbid that we'd say that. But in his haste, that's what Job had done, isn't it? Verse 9. Hast thou an arm like God? Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency. And array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath. And behold everyone that is proud and abasing. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low. And tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. 
Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. Now here's what the Lord's asking Job. Can you make yourself righteous, Job? Can you, can you save yourself? Now that's the question. That's the question for Job and that's the question for all of us here this morning. Can you make yourself righteous? Now the answer to this question, that's what the Lord's going to draw out of Job. If the Lord's going to save us, he's going to draw the same answer out of us. Can you save yourself? Well, of course not. Everybody knows only God can save sinners. Only God has the mercy and grace to save sinners. Only God can satisfy his holy justice so that guilty sinners can be saved in justice. Only God can make it right for him to forgive the sin of his people. Job, can you humble the proud? Can you bring the, the proud low, make them beg for mercy? If you can, God said, let's see you clothe yourself in majesty. In God's majesty, let's see you do it. Let's see you bear your mighty arm, your right arm, and save a sinner. Now, Job, if you can do that, then I'll say you can make yourself righteous. But you can't do it. You can't do it. So here's the answer that the Lord's going to draw out of Job. He's going to draw out of us too if he's going to save us. We have to admit, we can't do anything for ourselves. We need the Lord to do it all. And to prove the point, the Lord talks to Job about two earthly things that in his wildest imagination, Job would never think of going one-on-one and contending with these two things. And this is the Lord's point in doing all this. If you won't tangle with these earthly things because they're too strong for you, why would you ever think you can contend with the Almighty? And the first thing that the, the Lord uses as an illustration of Job is the elephant. Verse 15. Behold now the behemoth which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. And lo, his strength is in his loins. And his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong as pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shade, shady trees in the covert of the reed and fins. The shade, shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. The Lord asked Job, Job, would you ever go one-on-one with an elephant? I mean, an elephant, he pretty much does what he wants when he wants. He goes where he wants, he eats what he wants. He eats grass in the valleys. And that elephant can climb up into the mountains and eat grass in the mountains too. (laughs) And nobody stops him. He lies down to rest under a shade tree. And he's completely unafraid somebody's going to jump out and attack him because nobody can whip him. He's just unafraid. <laughs> the Lord says, Job, that elephant could whip you with his tail. His tail's like cedars banded together. He'd just whack you with that thing, you're done. You know, just his tail. We're not even talking about his tusks or his feet or something, you know. And you can hit him if you want, but you ain't hurting. His bones are like brass bars. His strength is the chief among the animals that God made. And he comes up to this 
flooded river. The Lord paints this picture of a flooded river. He's talking about the River Jordan. Every year the River Jordan floods and, and people are very concerned about the river at that time. It, it floods and, and uh, just the, the waters are deep and fast and people are you know concerned by getting caught in that thing and drowning. Not the elephant. I mean, the elephant just looks at that flooded river. He's not afraid. He'll say, eh, I'll just drink that thing up with my mouth. <laughs> I'm not afraid of that, you know. It doesn't bother me. You know, everybody is clear about this. I'm staying away from the edge of the Jordan when it floods. Not the elephant. You know, herds of elephant, they're all females. They're led by the older females. I've seen this on, on TV. They come up that flooded river. And the grandmother, the oldest grandmother, she just goes right, she doesn't stop. She just goes right into that river. She's completely unafraid of that river. She just goes in. And she gets out in the middle and she stands there. And you know what she's doing? She's not afraid. She's just making sure the little ones can make it across. She's not afraid. Now, Job, you going to wrestle with her? Huh? Job and all the rest of you. Now, would you ever think about contending with an elephant one-on-one? No. Then why would you ever dream of contending with the Almighty? Oh, God, keep us from that. That we'd ever question his providence. That we'd ever question, how can God bring good out of this? Why is God doing this? Now let's start with what's most important. Would you ever question how God is pleased to save a sinner? Well, a sinner won't. An object of God's mercy would never dream of questioning how God saves sinners. If the Lord's been pleased to reveal himself to you, you know what he showed you? He showed you his power, his redeeming power, the power of the blood of Christ. He showed you the the depths and the breadth of his love that despite all your sin, almighty God loves you. Sent his son to be the propitiation for your sin. God saved you by his grace. By his grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Just the opposite. But God saved you anyway. That's grace, isn't it? Now after seeing all of God's grace to you, you see it. You see his grace. You see his love. He showed you his love. His eternal love for you. Then whatever it is you're going through right now, why would you ever question what God's doing with you now? Huh? After all his grace and mercy and love and power and redeeming you that he showed you in the past, why would you ever say, well, God's still, he's not still being gracious with you? Now, you know better. Of course he is. You know, when we question God, we say, of all people, why is God doing this to me? When we ask that question, you know what we've forgotten? We've forgotten that salvation is by grace. God deals with his people in grace. Not works, not merit, grace. All grace. I mean grace at the beginning, grace at the end, and grace everywhere in between. It's all of grace. And when I say, why would God do this to me? You know what I'm saying? I deserve better. Hmm. I've conducted myself so well. I don't deserve this trial. 
I don't deserve this heartache. Now that's what I pray the Lord would deliver me and you from. Oh, how I pray the Lord never, ever, ever give me what I deserve. I don't want what I deserve. I want God to deal with me in mercy. I want God to deal with me in grace. And that's the answer that the Lord's drawing out of Job. We'll see that in just a minute. And if the Lord's going to be merciful to you and me, that's the confession. That's the answer he's going to draw out of us too. So first was the elephant. Second is the crocodile. Now I've always kind of thought in, in, in uh, verse 5 of chapter 41, he talks about the Leviathan. The Lord playing with the Leviathan like we would play with a, a bird. I've always thought that's, that's the whale. And that's what I always think about. I see on TV these whales jumping up out of the, the water and splashing down and stuff, you know. And I always think, that's the Lord playing with that whale. He's just playing with it. The thing's jumping up. And that's probably true. But in studying this passage this week, I don't think the Lord's talking about a whale here. He's talking about the crocodile because that seems to be what, what the Lord's describing to Job in this chapter. And Job would have been a whole lot more familiar with a crocodile than, than a whale. So I believe this is a crocodile. It's chapter 41, verse 1. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook? Or his tongue with a, with a cord, which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Now, can you catch a crocodile with a hook and haul that thing into your boat for dinner? No. Now, this is just me. But if I was, I was fishing, I don't do much fishing anymore, but I used to do a lot of fishing. And if I was fishing and I hooked a crocodile, Old Frank would cut the line and run. I mean, mean, I'm getting out of it. And you would too if you're smart. I don't want to mess with that thing. Verse 3, the Lord says, Will he make supplications? Can you make this crocodile make supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee? Will thou take him for a servant forever? Job, can you make friends with a crocodile? Can you just make that crocodile talk sweet to you? And be your friend. Can you make him agree he's willingly going to serve you and he won't be fierce with you? No, of course not. God does. God does. Verse 6. Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle and do no more. I mean, can you imagine laying your hand feeling that crocodile, that armor God's made out of him, you know? Remember the battle, don't do that again. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dares stir him up. And who then is able to stand before me? If you won't stand before that crocodile, who's able to stand before me? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. Job, you don't have any hope of battling that crocodile. Your best hope is to run away from him. That's what all the animals do. You know, they run away from him, but not God. God rules that thing. He rules everything in his creation. Verse 12, I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion. Who can discover the face of his garment? Who can come to him with his double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are as pride. 
are, are his pride. Shut up together with a close seal. Those things just form such a close seal over him. It's like armor over him. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. By his niecings a light doth shine. His eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals and a flame goeth out of his mouth. In his neck remaineth strength. His sorrow is turned into joy before him. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is as firm as a stone. No wonder. I mean, nothing can harm him. Of course he's he's firm. He's he's not afraid. Yea, his heart is a piece of the, the nether millstone. When he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reasons of breakings, they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth uh, that layeth at him cannot hold the spear, the dart, nor the habergon. He esteemeth iron as straw, and brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling, sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of the spear. You're going to try to scare him by rattling your spear? He just laughs. Sharp stones are under him. He spreadeth sharp point, pointed things upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh the path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is not his light, who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. He's king over all the children of pride. There's nothing that makes that thing afraid. He's not afraid of you. But you're afraid of him, aren't you? You're, you're not going to go fight him one-on-one. Now Job, if you don't want to face that crocodile, why would you say you want to see my face? Why would you say you want to come into my question and ask some questions from the Almighty? Huh? Why would you say that? Job, would you dare resist my will? Would you dare? Oh, oh. Now Job's going to answer again. And this time, Job gives the right answer. I know he gives the right answer because that's what the Lord says. Look at verse 7 of chapter 42. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Tiamite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for you have not spoken of me the right, the, the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. So Job's answer here is the right answer. And this right answer is the confession of every believer. Now remember we said there's times we should keep our mouth shut. But there's times we shouldn't. There's times we should speak. And we should always be ready to open our mouth with this confession. You cannot keep your mouth shut about this. This is what every believer confesses. Number one. Everything God does is right. Verse 1 of chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me. 
which I, which I knew not. Here, I beseech thee, I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Now, Job and every believer will confess this. Everything God does is right. It's right. It's just. The Lord can do whatever he pleases. He's got the power to do whatever he pleases. He's king. He's got the right to do whatever he pleases. And everything he does is right. He'll never do wrong. You know why every believer will confess that? Wayne, that's our comfort. That's our assurance. God will do right. Even if I don't understand it, God's doing right. Isn't that what Abraham said when he was interceding for for Sodom? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I know you will. Of course he will. Everything God does is right. Now some things God does, boy, we, we, uh, I don't know, celebrate the right word. We, we're just so happy. We just, you know, we, but then there are other things we think, oh, no, no, wait a minute. Well, just think about how, what God's done is right. God was right to save me by his grace. I see that. God was right to do that. And I'll never argue with that. I'll always rejoice in that. God was right to save me by his grace. And he made it right to do it. He, God made it right to be gracious to a sinner like me. He sent his son to take my sin, to make my sin to be his. And then he suffered everything I deserved. He suffered the hell that I deserved to put my sin away. Christ suffered it for me. His blood put my sin away. The blood of his sacrifice made my sin to be gone. See, the sacrifice of Christ made it right for God to be merciful to me. See that? Lord, save me by his grace, and I rejoice in that. Let's remember this. Whatever God does to me now, that's right too. He didn't stop being gracious to me. Whatever God's doing with me now is right. Just as right as when he saved me by his grace. Just as right. The Lord's been right to feed me and clothe me. Janet and I were talking last night, just looking back over our life together. Utterly amazing. Just, we're so, just amazed and thankful how the Lord has provided it. Um, the math of it at times didn't add up, but he provided. He's provided us food and clothing and shelter. He's provided us a family. He's provided, he's provided me a wife that just is just second to none. How thankful I am. Don't you love the Lord's provision for you? You hadn't deserved any of it, have you? but he's given it to you. Now we rejoice in that, don't we? When we pray, we say, thank you, Lord. Lord, we, we, we get ready to eat. Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you. We, uh, we're in health. Our children are all doing well. Just, uh, you know, you got enough money to pay the bills. Everything's just, you know, going great. Like Brother Henry used to say, you got the tiger by the hail and, uh, by the tail on a, on a downhill pull on the shady side. It's all wonderful, isn't it? We say, Lord's right. You know what? The Lord's right when he strips me. He lays me low too. So it's right that he takes my health away from me too. He is now. The Lord is right 
to give me life. I'm talking about just physical life. We can say, you know, the Lord's right to do that. I'm thankful for it. Let's not forget this. The Lord's just as right when He takes it. Just as right. We all love when the Lord blesses us, don't we? Oh, we thank you, Lord. Let's remember this. The Lord's just as right when He sends us a heartache. Don't forget that now. Now, I don't know. I will never pretend to know everything the Lord's doing when He sends a trial my way or your way. You know, all we can see is right here. You know, the, the ripple effects of that, how they spread out, and, and what God's going to accomplish with all that, we couldn't begin to comprehend. But this is what I know. Let's start with what we know. When the Lord sends a trial to one of His children, one thing that trial, if you're a child of God, one thing I know for sure that trial is going to make you do is going to make you fall on your face before His throne. It's going to make you look to Him. It's going to make you depend more upon Him. Because you see, you can't depend on yourself, you know. I mean, we think, okay, the Lord's taught me this in this trial. I'm never going to have to be taught this again. I'm not self-sufficient. And then the further you get away from that trial, the more this flesh starts thinking, yeah, I'm self-sufficient. The Lord's got to send another trial to teach us. He's going to teach us we're not not self-sufficient. He's going to send us, His children, a trial to make us depend on Him and cling to Him harder than we ever have before. Now that's going to be painful, but let me tell you, whatever it is that makes me depend on Christ more, that makes me look to Him more, that makes me seek His face more, that makes me, drives me into His Word more, is good. It's good. It absolutely is. Many of you have been through severe trials and, and uh, you know what I'm talking about. When you're in the midst of it, all you can do is cry out to the Lord, right? Lord, give me grace for the hour. Just give me grace, I mean for the minute. Have you ever been that where you just thought, I'm not worried about the hour. I'm worried about, about the next 10 seconds. Lord, give me grace sufficient for this thing. Oh, it's so hard. It's so painful. But when the Lord's pleased to deliver you and you look back on that, you say, that's the best thing ever happened to me. When the Lord brings you so low that all you can do is just cry out, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I'm going down for the, for the third time. Lord, help me. And the Lord gives you peace of heart. Now, He doesn't give you peace because He removed the trial. He doesn't give you peace because He removed the pain. He doesn't give you peace because He removed the heartache. The heartache and the pain and the trial are still there, but He gives you peace of heart. As the commercial says, that's priceless. It's good for me that I've been afflicted. I couldn't have enjoyed that peace if the Lord hadn't afflicted me first. I was talking to a Dear, dear friend of mine this week, and he recounted a, a story that he heard about John Newton when he was in, was it Newton? Yeah, in, he was in prison. Whoever it was, this fellow, he was in prison for preaching the gospel. He, he refused to recant. He spent years in prison in horrible situations, and he said, at that time, the Lord gave me such peace, peace of heart, 
He said, it would almost make me pray. So if, if it wouldn't be tempted to the Lord, it would almost make me pray that he'd make the trial harder so I could experience his grace all the more. My dear friend Rex said, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> but you understand what I was talking about there, don't you? When the Lord gives you peace that passes understanding, it's priceless. And Job said, I see that now. Job said, I have questioned God before, but no more. I've complained about God's providence, but I'm not going to do that anymore. How can I? How can I complain about God's providence after he's been so gracious to me? The only thing I'm going to tell people is this. You don't understand it, but you hang on to this for all your worth. What God's done is right. It's right. Number two, this is the confession of every believer. By faith, I see Christ and I trust him. Verse five, Job says, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, Job says, Lord's dealt with me in this trial. Lord's touched me. But you know, before this thing happened, now there were some things I knew, some things I knew about God. I, I had a head knowledge of some things. But now I know them. See, now I know them. Because now I believe these things in my heart. I believe them by experience. I knew the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. I believed that was so. And I, I could see that's a really good thing. But this trial has taught me salvation is by grace. <laughs> I mean, it's by grace alone. See, I had a head knowledge of the doctrine of salvation by grace, but I thought I was being blessed because of my integrity. I thought God was blessing me and he wasn't blessing somebody else. He was blessing me more than somebody else because quite honestly, I'm just doing it better than I'm just doing it better. And my friends, that's not grace, is it? That's works. And Job said, now I've experienced this. Salvation is by grace. This thing is all of grace. God chose me. He elected me in grace. He redeemed me in his grace. He called me by his grace. He revealed his son to me and in me in his grace. He saved me by his grace. He kept me by his grace. And if I'm going to be blessed, I'm going to be blessed because of God's grace not because of something I've done. You see, now I see Christ. Now I see Christ. See, I heard, but now I see. I see that salvation is a person. Grace is a person. And now I see Christ, and I trust Him. I'm not just believing a bunch of true statements. I trust Him. See, I used to have a head knowledge. Just like I had a head knowledge of, of grace. I had a head knowledge of God's sovereignty. God does as he pleases. Now, I believe in the God who's sovereign. Now, there's a difference in believing in the sovereignty of God and believing in the God who's sovereign. God, Job says, now I believe in the God who's sovereign because I've seen his power in action. I've seen him saving me, keeping me, and comforting me. I used to have a head knowledge that the Lord would not leave nor forsake his people. Written in the word of God, I believe that to be so, because that's what God said. Now that I've experienced that, I believe it. I believe it. Job could say the same thing you and I have said. 
You know, I'm not picking on Job for saying all these awful things. You know, I've said the same things. We've, we've thought the same things. I've said all these awful things. And the Lord still didn't lead me. Now I've experienced it. He will not leave nor forsake his people. And instead of leaving me, you know what he's done? He's comforted my heart. Now I know it. Now I know I can count on that because I've experienced it. And third thing is this. I'm a, I, we confess, every believer confesses this. I'm going to use my mouth in prayer. Verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Tiamite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For you have not spoken of me the right or the thing that's right as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly and that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Tiamite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite, went and did, according as the Lord commanded them, the Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now I bet old Job thought about this, and he said, I used to pray. I did, he, we read that at the very beginning when we started going through these questions in the book of Job. Job went every day and offered sacrifices for his children and prayed for his children. For eventually they didn't offer a sacrifice for themselves. Job said, I used to pray. I used to go through the religious motions. After this, Lord, the Lord sent this trial to me. Now I pray. Now I pray. And I don't just pray selfishly for myself. Now I pray that the glory of God be revealed. That the, that the Lord show His glory somehow in this trial. Now I pray that the Lord keep His word. Lord, you said you'd comfort your people. Lord, would you comfort me? Would you be with me? Now I pray that the Lord get glory to Himself whether He delivers me or not. Lord, get glory to Yourself. This is what Job has learned. And this is what the Lord's going to teach you and me. The issue is Christ. Now that's the issue. The issue is Christ. It's His glory, not my glory. And you take this for what you think. At the end of verse 10, or the, in verse 10, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. The Lord turned the captivity of Job, and he gave Job twice as much as what he had before. When he prayed for his friends, the Lord didn't give uh, deliver Job from this uh, trial and, and, and bless him with all these physical things again when he prayed for himself and asked the Lord to give him stuff, did he? The Lord blessed Job when Job prayed for his friends. The Lord forgave Job's friends because of the sacrifice that Job offered when Job prayed. I'm pretty sure that means this. We're going to be much more blessed when we start to pray that the Lord save others based upon the sacrifice of Christ. We're going to be a whole lot more blessed when we quit asking for stuff and start praying that the Lord bless somebody else. 
See, the issue is Christ. The issue is the Savior. The issue is his people. The issue is Christ's person and his work, not me and not mine. The issue is Christ's righteousness and Christ's glory, not mine. And sooner that the Lord teaches that to you and me, the better off we'll be. And if he uses a trial to do it, we're going to be thankful for it. I promise you we will. All right, let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for this time that you've given us together. Father, I pray you'd bless your word as it's been preached, as it's been laid open to your people. Father, enable us to see the glory of Christ our Savior. Reveal to our hearts the glory of Christ and give us the faith to believe him. Father, how we thank you for a place where we can come and and truly worship hear your gospel praise, to have Christ exalted to us. And Father, I pray you continue to bless him. How you blessed us all these many, many, many years. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless us. Go with us. Bless us in this coming year, we pray, as you have in the past. All these things we ask, for Christ's sake, for his glory, for the sake of his people. All right, now remember our service this evening. A few men would put us up about two tables out there in the vestibule so uh, we can put our refreshments and things on it. And uh, this evening, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, Chris.